Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. This podcast today is sponsored by BlackRifleCoffee.com. If you go to BlackRifleCoffee.com and use PhilCraft20, that's PhilCraft20, you'll save 20% on checkout. One of the newest things that I'm doing is this coffee club. Uh, this coffee club is you pick your favorite brew, you can get it roasted, sent to your house once a month or as often as you want it. If you're like me, I drink three cups of coffee a day. Um, you cannot buy a higher quality coffee at a lower price. Your coffee club membership guarantees discounts off of retail. Also, you get exclusive deals from companies like Cryptech, Sheepdog Response, Emerson Nyes, Bison Union, Surefire, and the list goes on. I feel like I should be on that for some reason. Um, so anyways, go to, go to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use Philcraft20 to save 20% on checkout. Look, Black Rifle Coffee supports and advocates for veteran nonprofits as well as other nonprofits and that's always a good thing, blackriflecoffee.com. Also, this podcast is sponsored by killcliff.com. Killcliff.com is a natural energy drink, giving you the right amount of energy with all the BS out of the energy drink, focused on uh, strategically planning energy along the way, all the things that are going to help you. So the Ignite is going to obviously uh, kickstart your workout. The Endure, Endure is going to allow you to sustain and then I love the Recover. Recover is one of my favorite because it's got zero sugar. It's got the uh, amino acids. It's got the electrolytes that are needed post-workout. They're so important. Also, Kill Cliff supports the Navy SEAL Foundation, which I'm not a Navy SEAL. I'm a Green Beret, but I'm a big fan of Navy SEALs. And I'm a big fan of supporting nonprofits that help and advocate for veteran organizations. The Navy SEAL Foundation helps the Navy SEAL community and their families. So... Check out KillCliff.com and use Survival15, Survival15 to save 15% on checkout. Also, this podcast is brought to you by TriarchSystems.com. October 7th, mark it on your calendar. I haven't been on the, on the road teaching pistol and carbine, but October 7th, because Brad from Heart Leather convinced me to do this, I will be on the road with Raul Martinez, our tactical pistol carbine instructor, and I'll be teaching in Las Vegas running pistol and carbine with him. On that range, I will have with me my Glock 17 Charlie made by Triarch Systems, the best gun I've ever owned. Flawless, reliable, repeatable, all the things that we look for in a gun that's going to be used to defend life. Make sure you check out TriarchSystems.com and use Philcraft one word to save 5% on any gun build. Right, All the, all the aesthetics looking pretty, but uh, these customs gun, custom guns are reliable and durable, and that's what you need in self-defense. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Summit Jeep Company. Look, Summit Jeep Company is my favorite company to use in Prescott, Arizona for tricking out my Jeep. Uh, we have an Overland Training concept that's going to be overlandtraining.com. Uh, we are building out our vehicles. Rigid Industries, uh, we got Truck Vault, Boss Strongbox. Uh, CBI, um, all of our partners are coming together. Falcon Tires, they're coming together to build out these rigs. And I use Summit Jeep Company to ensure that I get the best service. Uh, whether I'm ordering parts um, or I'm building out a rig, it doesn't have to be a Jeep. Make sure you check out Summit Jeep Company. Um, believe it's summitjeepcompany.com. Or just check out our at Philcraft Mobility on Instagram. Hey, today we got to catch up with Tier Tactical. If you haven't heard of Tier Tactical, make sure you check them out. It's uh, tyrtactical.com. 
Tier Tactical is owned by CEO and owner Jason Beck. Good buddy of mine. I've known him for 10 years since he started Tier Tactical. Has been intimately tied into special operations. That's why I believe that you know talking to the end users is so important in making the best kit. If you're a kit company, if you want to be in the best and uh, specifically uh, tactical nylon, you got to talk to the end users, which is special operations, the army, the military, period, to be the best. Look, Jason's doing a whole bunch of things from body armor to kit, um, all kind, even a clothing company on the side. It was a great uh, honor to catch up with him at his facility in Phoenix, Arizona, at the Tier Tactical Facility. Make sure you guys check him out, uh, but excited to kick off this podcast. So, yeah, let's keep it rolling. Jason, thanks for being on the podcast, man. No worries. I know you're very busy and you got a lot of stuff going on, and I appreciate you uh, hosting us, number one, but also giving us the tour of everything you guys got. That's cool. It's good you to have you guys. Uh, I, it, for guys and gals who are listening to this podcast, you know, uh, I gave you a little context before in the intro, but I met Jason years ago. It was about a decade ago at the Use of Sock Sniper Competition, and you, I've always seen you coming and going around Fayetteville, about, around Fort Bragg. I even remember you had a vehicle that had like a kit room in it, right? It was yeah. Like a, yeah, we were selling product right there at uh, the comp and stuff like that. Yeah, it was kind of like a, you can get like a custom thing. Like if some guy had an idea, you had a sew shop inside the, the thing, didn't you? Yeah, that was the uh, the early concept of what I wanted to do um, as a creation of my second company, I guess, in this industry was, was I wanted to go out and uh, be with the customers, which is how my first company started, right? I wanted to be hands-on. I wanted to... Um, you know, give guys the opportunity to actually design kit themselves and really give feedback. And that interaction uh, with an individual or with that design for me is like the, it's like the best part of the business, right? Um, The money kind of comes secondary as that. I've always looked at it that way or not always when I was 27 or 28, I probably didn't look at it that way, but, but, you know, as a craft of what you love to do, um, there's nothing like putting hands on something and actually being able to create it from scratch like that. So our idea, we took a, a 32 foot trailer and we literally stripped it all out and turned it into a, a sew shop, had a cutting table and sewing machines and everything else like that. And so, um, you know, we were all over brag I mean, we hit bases all over the country and stuff like that. And we did that for probably the first three years. So that was really, uh, I always thought it was really cool. Cause I remember, I think I even asked you that then it, you were actually sewing a lot of it yourself. We were. That's yeah, what yeah. you were doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, just that creation of it. Uh, not that I was the greatest sewer. I'm not, nothing compared to the sewers that I have here, but it was, I was, I was good enough to where I could actually uh, try to help create a product or a pouch or an item or a clothing item or something like that. Um, give guys a concept and then, and then later on we can put that into production or something or something like that for guys. That's actually how the smock, I think you actually, did you win a smock at that? No, Kevin, Kevin won the, oh, yeah. the smock. Yeah. <laughs> I was jealous though. I, I, that smock was awesome. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. But that was actually, that, that idea came from range 37 as an example is guys were, I think it was actually you and was it Sean Wiseman maybe? It's from my, uh, yeah, it was. He, and he showed me this smock, and and then some Canadian guy that was there was like t- showing me one of his smocks and stuff like that. And I was like, man, this is badass. And it in my head, I wanted to make it for me to hunt in. And then all the guys were like, I, I'd get feedback from the guys, and I, I think I was out there like six or seven times over like a two month period of time trying to get feedback on this jacket. And um, it's still today is just a badass jacket, you know. What, what I think is cool about the you know seeing you come up along with special operations just when i think about kit and everything else is that at that time during the war 
Um, everything was evolving very fast. And we didn't even know what we didn't know at the time. I remember the early trips, uh, early global war and terror, like 01, 02, 03. We just didn't really have kit and there weren't really solutions. And as people started coming back from war, it's like, I need a piece of kit yesterday. Like right. There was a requirement that's going to save my life and save somebody else's life that was needed yesterday. And so you were one of the few people that I knew in that circle that were able to adapt and make things relevant to the speed of war and what you were doing. Yeah, time. I mean, for us, it was, uh, I mean, that's kind of where the trademark, uh, our trademark came from was innovate or die, right? It was, um, you know, kind of a, a thought process of if we don't innovate, our in, the individual that we're trying to take care of um, isn't going to survive that situation. So um, it might be, hey, I need soft armor here, or hey, I, you know, I got shot. I, I got had a guy go around a corner and was using something, got shot in the forearm, or I needed something for breaching, and uh, we're so close to these charges, and we don't have a soft shield that would unfold and be able to put in front. I mean, all those little concepts. Sn the sniper, you know, smock, you know, came around from that. Is hey, I need to be able to escape and evade and have 72 hours of kit. That, came from, that actually came from him. Is I, I need two radios. I need two. I need to run two embedders. I need seven mags. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that, that thing has 182 individually cut pieces in it. It is the most... I lost my keys in that. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, you know, but, but that piece of kit, um, you know, it, it's going to sound crazy. I, I go back to, uh, in, in my head, from me in the early days of training at the Gracie Academy, Horian and Gracie um, said something to all of us as instructors in the instructor program. Um, that is like, if you think about it, if your belt is not tied exactly to the same tightness and it's too tight or it's too loose and you get ready to roll with somebody, that's going to irritate you. And we're all like, oh my gosh, because you never think about it that way. It's the same thing when you're doing a long run. You and I have talked about this. If, if that one shoe is not tied to that exact same pressure, then it, it's, it might throw you off mentally. That piece of kit isn't necessarily, the sniper smock is a good example with this that's not necessarily going to save your life from ballistics or fragmentation or something like that, but it might give you that mental capability of now I know where everything's at. You feel confident in your, it, the yeah. com confidence, a big part of the battle, right? Yeah. So if you know that that kit is there for you and it's meant specifically to take care of your needs, that that confidence level might be the difference between speed of you, you know, get being impacted or, or impacting somebody else. That's so. awesome. And, and this, this journey for you um, as a business, which was, you know, obviously an important part of your life, uh, evolving and progressing, started with Diamondback Tactical, right? It probably, there's probably a story before that. Yeah. Where, where did this journey start for you? Yeah, so, so for me, um, you know, I, I spent four years in the Marine Corps, uh, didn't really do anything in the Marine Corps. It was, a, was a literally an 0351, which is a Dragon Gunner, if you guys know what that is. So um, was a real big, heavy, you know, <laughs> missile that you're carrying around, a rocket that you're carrying around that uh, wasn't much fun to do. And, um, and it was after the war, right? So I joined thinking that I'm going to Gulf War One. By the time I'm through, uh, at the time, infantry training battalion or infantry training school, war's over with, and now you're in the Marine Corps. <laughs> so, so you know, everybody's coming back, and you're not, you're not really, you're kind of just stuck. You know, you're not going anywhere. At that time, uh, there wasn't really a lot of opportunity like there is now. The Marine Corps has completely changed. Uh, the Army's completely changed. If you talk to vets that were in around that specific period, um, it's just a different different type of army, but we've been in a different war as well. Right. So, so, uh, I got out and I was looking for something that would, um, allow me to use what I enjoyed most, which was, 
I was in a lot of altercations. I was I, I had gone through line instructor school in the Marine Corps, so I wanted to be. Yeah, a, I remember that. Yeah, That's so I wanted to be a combatives instructor. Um, but you get out as a civilian, and you're like, really, this is what I'm going to do for a living? You know, do I go work at Home Depot? What, you know, what do I do? Uh, so I ended up at the Gracie Academy, and uh, I was real fortunate. Uh, uh, became friends with uh, Hoyce and Horian, worked for the family directly, and um, ran different areas of their business uh, for some time. Uh, and traveled a lot with them, taught classes with them, uh, worked really closely with U.S. Special Operations, both from the Tier 1 and, and downside. So, um, and, uh, you know, befriended a lot of people that, that were really tightly connected. Uh, came out here to Arizona, taking a private job uh, with a, a company that was doing the exact same thing um, down here in Marana, and uh, worked for those guys for two years. And then, uh, as I was going along was, was designing equipment, you know, like I'm trading out designs. I'm realizing that I'm making more money selling kit on the side than I was getting bashed in the mouth. Uh, you know, I've got like six or seven false teeth now, you know, from, from that time period of my wow. life, you know, and you, and you look at it and you're like, man, like, is that really, is this what it's about? Or is there something else? Um, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in sewing. I wasn't interested in, uh, um, you know, designing in my head. I, I, I was, as a kid, I always wanted to be an architect, like design houses or, so, you know, I thought about different, different tasks or different things that I, that I might go down. Um, and, uh, and I realized that just this opportunity where I was designing the stuff that I was rolling in, um, I was fortunate enough that there were riggers right across the street and they were helping me uh, design some stuff and then taught me how to sew just basic mechanics of it. I started sewing my own stuff. Guys were like, man, that's really cool. And then, and then it took off from there. So, uh, Dimec literally started, uh, first in my house and then three 10 by 30 storage units at Cactus and 59th here in Glendale, Arizona, and then, uh, moved into a building, uh, building over here in Peoria right after nine 11. And it just, boom, you know, it just, uh, our first catalog literally mailed out September 1st, 2001. Uh, we had to reprint it 15 days later, mailed out a second one. Um, you know, cause nine 11 happens. I'm like, there's, everybody wants one of these catalogs because it was on people's desks, you know, on 9-11. So <clears throat> my phone lit up. I used to have this thing called a phone delir where I had two cell phones and two batteries because I had a Motorola Razor. So I would have to like change out phones and change out and it would go from headset to headset to take care of customers. And, uh, and I was a one man show uh, for a long time as far as running sales and things like that. I had a business partner um, named Denny Chalker who was awesome and would help me, you know, with whatever kit we needed to do or design kit. Um, and uh, he's a pretty historically uh, known SEAL uh, from that community. And uh, so he had a lot of connections, and we would go out and talk to the Naval Special Warfare side. We'd talk to the, to the side over uh, at the unit. And, um, and uh, we, because of that, we, we started building relationships with different manufacturers. So I would, at first, uh, would design some of our stuff, have other people build it, and then um, – would go to different companies like the kit that you guys posted a photo of the other day that kit for the sifs um that was april of 2002 that we did that sale to usocom i think you guys got it issued in like june of 2002 june maybe july 2002 sometime frame nobody could handle that order right no it was you know carriers came from paraclete the pouches came from paraclete uh, some of the pouches were Blackhawk pouches. The bag that it came in was a Blackhawk dive bag. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it was like I was piecing all these pieces together it, of what I thought was the best of the best, right? The, the helmets came from France, you know, Galais, um, because nobody did that 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 style side cut helmet here in the U.S. at the time. 
Um, and you know, we put this, this really, really excellent kit together, built it all and then hand delivered it. And then you guys got that kit issued. That company became known for that type of environment, like whatever it took, like I used to call it define the fight. That that's, that's what I used to use that when I was teaching. And then I started using that slogan, um, in business of I'm going to define the outcome of what this is going to be. Right. And, um, and for me, it was, I'm just taking the jujitsu principles and using them towards business, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep moving in the direction that I need to keep moving in, but I'm going to focus on, um, how I'm going to build the business and I'm going to have an end goal or in, in status of what I want it to be. And, uh, for us, it was kidding. And, uh, we became really, really well known for it. Um, I started design, building our own nylon in 2003 ish, late 2002 ish timeframe, uh, to me luggage. Um, that was in Vidalia, Georgia, middle of nowhere, Georgia. You were you were in ranger school down in that yeah, <laughs> in that area, yeah. right? You're in swampland territory. Um, they had moved after 9/11 to China, so they laid off 500 and something employees. And uh, I walked in and met with the owner of the guy that that owned the subcontractor. And I'm like, hey, this is what I want to I want to I want to turn this into a body armor company. And he's like, man, we'll take whatever job we can get wow, <laughs> this time. Wow. And uh, so I had the best sewers, uh, Dimeback did. Uh, we had the best sewers uh, in the world, and I was able to learn underneath a, uh, a lady who was there that started there when she was 13. And at the time, she was the plant manager, and she literally just took me under her wing and taught me how to handle employees, employee issues when it came to sewers. Completely different mindset, right? You've got you've got um, very highly highly skilled people in their craft that are typically um, not thought of as highly skilled. It's kind of interesting. Like you look yeah. at you look at a sewer and you're like, most people are like, yeah, they're just sewing that item. You're just thinking of labor, <laughs> yeah. but they're technically proficient. Get your ass yeah. on that machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's a whole different ballgame. And stay at the at the level of craftsmanship that they have. There, to me, there's no difference between uh, them and somebody that's coming in and putting in really nice cabinets in your in your uh, house, right? Yeah. Um, or have somebody lay tile in your house and have somebody that's not skilled or not or, or has that skill. The people that that uh, that we had there were just they were top notch. They were building the best luggage in the world at the time. So um, uh, that lady passed away passed away unfortunately in 2006 timeframe, and um, and at the time we were looking at moving about 50 percent of that factory capacity to here to Arizona, uh, and we were going to hire people here in Arizona, but we were also going to move people from uh, from Georgia to to here. Uh, she passes away and it sped the entire process up because she was like our, she was like our, our hands there. Like she was our eyes, everything. And, um, so, uh, we, we went really quickly. Uh, we hired, we uh, ended up hiring, uh, probably about 72 people right off the bat. And then just went from there. I think we ended up, I left in September of 2008. We sold the company to a private equity company, which was a giant mistake, uh, on my part. Um, at the time and uh just because it changed the entire direction of the company yeah uh, yeah and so you um, were still involved and they oh just, yeah i was yeah. i was the ceo of the company but it was uh their goal was to be a 250 to 300 million dollar company and my goal was to take care of each customer completely <laughs> completely opposite thought processes of uh, mindset around people so here i would be working on one product for you as an example and they want to go in, uh, you know, the biggest contract ever, which is great when it comes to monetary aspect. But I would look at it and go, we're built on special operations. This is what we need to take care of. Um, so completely di two different mindsets. In uh, 2007, I, I decided to not re-up my contract. Um, 
with them. They were fine with it because they realized we were, it was, it was not a bad parting, but we were just going in completely opposite directions. I took my exit and I had a non, a non-compete for, for 18 months. Um, and the entire time all I could think about was, man, I don't feel like I'm done. Like, I feel like I want to just create more product, which is where the trailer came from that you were yeah. talking about. Right. So when I, when I started tier in May of 2010, um, my, uh, my wife and I were talking about it and Dimeback had literally here in Phoenix laid every single employee off and moved to North Carolina. So every single one, it was crazy. So, uh, we had, uh, we had just moved into the space. I had like four employees just proc- working on product development. And, um, my wife's like, we have the money. Like, why don't we hire all these people? Because they all showed up on my doorstep. Literally. I had, oh, like, wow. It was, Your it was, former employees. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. nuts. So they're all like, Hey, you know, like you left us. Wow. <laughs> what are you going to do? And, um, so we, uh, we had a conversation, we had them all come back the following Friday and we hired, uh, 50 of them. We didn't even have work, right? We literally hired 50 of them, uh, like the next week. And then we hired like another month later, we hired another 50 of them and we started building inventory. And then my job, I kind of took it on task. Like I need to go out and start selling, selling these products and selling, you know, and really focus on that. So I had to change a little bit of the course of the business instead of just doing custom products to, um, kind of focus on going after contracts from that standpoint. Um, but we were really blessed. We had some really good opportunities and, and we went from, I think in six months we went to 150 employees like, like overnight. It was, it was, it was pretty crazy. And, um, and we've never looked back really, you know, since then. So, so I I remember what did diamond, did diamondback tactical when they moved to North Carolina have a store in Fort Bragg? I don't know. I thought I thought they had one near uh, where the old Hooters used to be off of McPherson Church Road, <laughs> and I remember seeing it and then thinking, "Oh, that's cool. They have a shop there." And then like a month later, it was shut down. Like, oh, that's it, was, funny. it was closed. That's but, crazy. So when I when I saw you at the Use of Sock Sniper Comp, you had just that, we had that, literally just started. That just started. Yeah, that. yeah, like six. So that we were like six months old at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And here we are. It's been nine years later. And then how did that? You know, the whole concept with a mobile you know because we're big into overlanding and all this you know mobility stuff you know you see the food truck and the success of the food truck and distribution and getting out to people and letting it where did that come from where did that concept come from um it, it was it was legitimately i wanted to go out and meet with customers mm-hmm. um it gave it i wanted to go out and actually meet with guys that that would give me the opportunity to be able to build something for them and and uh I wanted, I, I wasn't trying to be the biggest company. So I had left what I thought was like, here's corporate. I didn't want to be corporate. Like you say, I'm not corporate. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. sure I'm shorts and t-shirt. We live in Arizona. It's 115 degrees outside. Yeah. Right. So, so, um, you know, it, for me, it was, it was, uh, I didn't want to wear a, a suit and tie like, like the private equity guys wanted me to like, that's not, that wasn't the mindset I wanted to focus on, um, you know, individual products, individual customers. And then I felt like, it, it's kind of a build it, they will come type concept. Right. And, and it worked. Um, the reason, the reason it worked is because we were so focused on, um, every stitch mattering in that product, that innovator die mentality. And then we're going to innovate these products, um, to what the guys need, not just what like, Hey, here's this general pouch as an example. And, um, you know, we did the same thing with belts, did the same thing with plate carriers. You know, there's lots of competitors with plate carriers in this industry, like lots. Right. Um, and, um, you know, I would, I would hope that people would look at us as like in the top two or three or four, you know, globally for what we do. 80% of our business is not here in the United States. It's actually outside the United States. It's, it's soft all over the world. So U.S. Special Operations here in the U.S. And then um, uh, globally, it's the, it's the same way. 
and between us and Cry, you know, we kind of mix and match in between in between these those customer bases, and um and you know, I don't really care if we win an order or not. What I care about is you, you know, Mike, the individual, getting the best product that you want. Because at the end of the day, I'm not the one getting shot at. You, you are, right? So, um, you know, if you have the best kit on and I can assist with that, maybe it's a piece of clothing, maybe it's a pouch, maybe it's a belt, whatever helps you tie your shoe that way, like we were talking about, to me, that's, the, that's, what, that's what counts, right? Yeah. Money comes and goes from that standpoint. And, yeah. um, and I think because we had that attitude from the beginning, we've grown to what, what it is now. I mean, we went from, you know, 20,000 square feet, you know, to, to now we're in our own building that we own that's 78,000 square feet, getting ready to add another 42,000 square feet, um, and over 330 employees. And, and, um, you know, I don't, it wasn't like I said, okay, I need to have this many employees and this much, you know, it, it, it just happens because you're trying to be something better, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's the natural progression in this yeah. field. If you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And I noticed speaking of employees, when I was on the floor and we were doing the tour, I noticed that, you know, you have uh, a lot of employees, a lot of people were sewing who are making body armor, just doing different things. And then the, the what I, I noticed right off the bat is the ethnic diversity of the, the population of employees that you have and everything from, you know, Asian, black, Hispanic. And you had mentioned a little bit about some of the uh, the different demographics that people were coming from. Di- Number one, what is what is your demographic of employees, and and, and then how does that tie into the values of, of Tier Tactical? So we have um, we have we have a, I think sixty two different company or countries that are that are in our company now, which is which is pretty crazy. Wow. Um, a couple of years ago, when we first started, I mean, we have a, we have a lot of we started with a lot of Hispanics, obviously just from from the area that we're in. Yeah. Um, and then um, over a period of time, uh, but you, you say Hispanic, but that could be. All of yeah, it could be Cuban, could be Dominican, could be his, you know Mexican, it could be El Salvador. Um, like our our uh, uh, Pedro, who's our mechanic, has been with me all the way back at Dime by Tactical. Started working for me in two thousand five. Wow. Um, and then um, and he's from El Salvador as an example. Um, probably one of the highest paid people on, on the floor out there. But he's got a talent and a skill set that, and he's been here that entire time, right? Yeah. And I love the guy to death. Um, and you know, you, you, you see that and you want to help that grow. So like he has a son, his son worked here for some time, right? He knows somebody who brings that other person in. I think it, um, you know, everybody has different values, value sets. You know, my wife and I, when we started this, we wanted to make it, we wanted to give that skill set or that, that person that has that craft more respect than they actually, um, have been getting, I guess, as an industry, right? We shove all these types of jobs overseas. And, um, and it's usually, you know, you go to some of our, uh, some of our industry in general, whether it's clothing or body armor or whatever it is. And they're like, they're just, they're kind of, I've seen them just treated like cattle. Look at, look at how my previous, like, as soon as I left, Hey, we're going to lay everybody off. You know, our goal as a company was, uh, to maintain that person's job no matter what. Right. So to grow the company, if I grow too fast, if you put it in that mindset, if I grow too fast, and then I lose that business, then who do I cut? Well, I don't cut myself as, as a business. That's how they think about it, right? I'm going to lay, lay those people off. Well, if you've got a high, highly skilled workforce like we do, and then I lay you off, are you going to trust me to come back, right? You're certainly not going to bring your family members here and things like that. So we had a, we had a mindset of we need to take care of the people that work here, right? I, I don't really, 
Um, and the sales guys will tell you the same thing. If you talk to them, customer service would definitely tell you the same thing. I don't care about their jobs, right? Do I love them? Yeah, I'm friends and family with, with a lot of them. That has nothing to do with it. Those are the people, the people that are out there making $12 to $14 an hour, um, those are the people that I care about, right? Because we're working for them, right? My kids are fine, right? They're, the customer service girl's kids are fine, right? What, what, what we should be caring about is the, is the single mom or the mom with four or five kids that's out there trying to sew her butt off, right? And just wants a little bit extra overtime. Um, so if you respect that craft and you respect that person, um, I think you get that back, yeah. tenfold. And I, and I think, I mean, when we walk the floor, I mean, you, you can see that in the people that are here. I mean, the way that we built the building, the way that we try to treat people. Um, and then this last year, well, the last two years, uh, my wife and I have tried to, um, we've tried to recruit from different areas. We tried to, this last year, we tried to focus on churches. They were all across the valley. So we'd go to different churches, which is actually more difficult than you'd think it would be. It's like, hey, do you have somebody that needs a job and go through this process? Because they have to have a green card or a work visa and so on and so forth. This last year, we've hired 72 uh, refugees from around the world, uh, which is why you see a lot of the diversity in here. So we have Nigerian, uh, we've got Yazidi from Iraq, we've got uh, some people, uh, some Christians that were from Syria, uh, we've got Sudanese. Uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. It's awesome. I love it. You know, because you see all these people that they 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 want to come in and work. They want to come in. They want to they want to they're. I think Kevin said earlier, it's like, man, this is the American dream. It really is. It's like, you know, the one lady from uh, that's here from Nigeria was telling us that she was making somewhere between twelve and fourteen dollars a week, right? And, wow. now, and now she's wow. making like uh, she walked in and making like eleven fifty or eleven seventy five an hour, right? Wow. And um and she is a crush at sewer. Like she, I saw her take the test, the sewing test, and w- the the first sewer that we had working for us at Dimeback. And is the first sewer that I had working from here at Tira named Sylvia Hernandez. Started working for me in 2005. And uh, she, I think she turned 64, 65 this last year. And she was going to retire. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, she's like, ah, you know, like I can't move all the product around. And I was like, uh, you know, why don't you become my main trainer? Right. I love her to death. You That's know? really cool. You yeah. Know? yeah. And uh, so I'm like, why don't you just train? I need, I need somebody that cares about the people that are coming in, some of these people don't know how to sew at all. And, but they may want to learn a task or learn a skill set. So why don't you teach them how to sew? So if, uh, if I brought this person in, could you try that? And so we started off with three people. They had, none of them knew how to sew. Um, she becomes, I, I call her mama bear cause, um, just the way she treats people. She's ended up taking like, like people in to her house. I mean, wow. I find all these stories out afterwards, like you know, like, hey, do you have extra clothes that you can give something? I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, wow. <laughs> like, this person just came to work for us. Like, you're already taking them into your house. She just takes care of every wow. single person on the floor. So she has, um, she's trained out of the 72, I, I want to say it's like 41 or 43, some weird number in there, um, that had never sewn before. Wow. And so I'm, my job is I'll invest two or three weeks of pay into this person, and, and I might get five years worth of or 10 years worth of work. And then this person learns a skill set that maybe they're not here all the time. I think that's a mistake that a lot of people in business make is, is I'm going to put work into you and I'm, I'm expecting you, you're not an indentured servant, right? <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna, if I teach you a skill set where I invest money into you, that doesn't mean you're going to be here forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, um, you know, so, so by going down this path with them, um, maybe they leave down the road. And maybe they're able to now make a living doing something that they otherwise had never done. But it, we're getting a lot of a really, really solid employees out of that. And, um, and I think we get loyalty out of it as well. 
you know, I think it goes back. If you treat somebody in that respect and for the respect of their craft and you're, and you're, you're putting that investment in time, energy, money, whatever, whatever that is, you might get that back. Sorry, we got another siren. Oh, it's okay. We're in Phoenix. <laughs> That's just per SOP. Not in Prescott anymore. Um, so when when it comes to the the actual industry now, and I know you have some opinions on this, the, how has the industry changed, and how do you how do you stay ahead in innovation? Because I, you know, I I think to myself. You know, I come from a, a sewing background. I'm Korean, go figure. So we, we sew, we got shops. I have family, have sewing shops. And so when I think about um, kind of how we innovate in the space, it, p- most people would think you could only sew uh, and only create so many pouches, so many ways before it's just the same old thing. But it's, it's weird. Like you just show me one of the packs that you're working on for your hunt, which we'll talk about uh, in a bit. But I'm like, well, I never even thought about that. Well, that's a great idea. And it, it's beyond me how that happens but you see it from the ground up so how has it evolved so you know in, in the early days of uh i mean if you go the, it, like i'm the, the old guy i guess in the industry now after 20 years of doing this but if you go back to the di- early dimeback tactical uh products um you know those were those the carriers to the nylon itself i would do double layer thousand denier on like either side so you'd have like four plies of thousand denier in this in this vest right um, that adds a lot of weight. Now the thing is bomb proof. I, I was in uh, Australia a year ago and guys that bought product from us in 2004, they're still wearing the same play carriers, wow. you know, which yeah. is, which is crazy. But, but there's a, it, you, you, you lose some because of weight, right? So, so really it was, how do you cut the weight off of the soldier? Because we, we add more batteries or add more radio weight, mm-hmm. or we add more magazines or we add hydration. Now we're adding sensors and everything else like that to the body. Well, the guys at PEO or the program executive offices in these different militaries, no matter what military it is, they want to add, man, I, I need, I need this display on your chest, right? Like, like there's all, like juggernaut and Cagworks, they have all these cool systems. It's awesome. But now I got to add cabling. I've, I've got to add uh, a system to be able to distribute power over the, over the wow. course of this. The you integration start, of technology yeah, into you, clothing. Yeah. yeah. You, you start to think about all those wow. things all that adds weight. There's a, there's a deficit that you're going to take at some point in time. I'm either going to lose, you know, magazines, two and a quarter pounds, right? A P mag with 30 rounds. Okay. I'm going to lose that magazine because I'm adding these other cables and other systems on there. And, um, it may, makes the soldier in a lot of ways, pick and choose, right? I'm going to run five magazines instead of seven, or I'm going to run three here instead of five or whatever that is. Um, and so it comes down to, um, the industry as a whole design wise has looked at load carriage, load management. Some guys have gone extremely lightweight, you know, so you see some of these, the, the, um, really, really ridiculous, you know, uh, uh, pipeline cuts all over the place, but then they might have bad load carriage, right? So, so if I have a, a really, really lightweight product, but it doesn't hold up over a period of time for guys in a tier one or tier two unit, they can afford that. That's not a problem, right? They're like, okay, I'll just get a new vest every three months or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, how many times did you change pouches on your vest and rearrange stuff all the time? You know, when you get that perfect setup, you want to leave it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is the way it is, right? Yeah. It makes you comfortable in that situation. So the industry from a material standpoint, you know, we created a product um, and I, I won the DuPont Innovation Award in 2012 for it, which is called PV. And I created it in 2010 and I backed nylon uh, with Kevlar. And that's what kind of really started uh, now, this is my opinion. Somebody else might have a different opinion, but if you really look at the history of the materials change in that 2010-2012 period, um, it's really where it kind of started from. 
uh, the U.S. Army uh, had an initiative to lose 10 pounds off of their actual plate carrier. Well, what people did is they just cut molly off, right? They were like, well, I'm going to take less molly here. Nobody laser cut in, in that time frame. Yeah. Laser t- cutting didn't really start until 2012 uh, period um, around there, maybe 2011. Um, and for us in two th- early 2010, it was we're going to go the materials direction. We're going to take everything to 500 denier, but we're going to back it with, with 200 denier Kevlar correctional, which is a stab-resistant material. And we're going to build a stronger product in general. So, um, and guys still have, I bet you still have the carrier that <laughs> was built in 2010 for you. You know, you know, you look at that and it, it, the thing holds up, you know, it's bomb proof. That, that goes back to design traits. Different designers will have different thought processes. Some guys are, are looking at, well, the customer's only going to use this for a year. But, you know, in my mindset, this guy might use this for four or five years. He might use it for 10. You've had that carrier for nine years, right? Right, Kevin? I mean, and, and the thing will hold up over a long period of time. Uh, Joey Goodlow, who, who uh, works for us now here at Tier, um, ran a, uh, a, one of our early Picos from 2010 until, t- until he retired, I think, like a year ago, year and a half ago, something like that. You know, and he was with B23, multiple deployments with that carrier. And I saw it and I was like, is this the same carrier? Like it's kind of crazy. It's because the material holds up that way. Um, that's not to pat myself on the back. It was just that was the challenge. That's the innovator diamond tally. That was the challenge that I had to me, given to me by the army, and the industry was given uh, that challenge. Different people answered it different ways. Some people went extremely, extremely light. You look at uh, um, uh, first beer. You know they went with hypalon and laser cut. I'm gonna get rid of the webbing because the obvious piece that most people look at when they look at a vest is like we got this webbing all over the place. The problem with that is when, in my opinion, this doesn't mean it's the Bible, but this is my opinion, and I'm sure those guys would have a different opinion than I would. Um, but, you know, you do that, and you lose structure of the overall vest, right? So when you lose structure uh, from a mobility standpoint, if I'm moving or if I'm fighting in it, now I get weight distribution and changes. Well, yeah. these little changes change your center of gravity. It changes the way you move. It changes the way that you function overall. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I ran that with the Hypalon Cry uh, version where it's all cut out. Yeah, yeah. And I ran it in uh, in Libya, and it just would ball up. And then the if I had too much weight on one side, I would lose the integrity. Of, right. And so that yeah, that, I saw the problems of that immediately, and we we got away from it. Now they've changed. Now 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 to cry. They they've also changed some of the stuff that they've done. They've had some load carriage in their in their systems now and stuff like that. You know, um, you know, I think we all as designers, me included, will design it. Will go go to the extreme that we can to try to make something extremely lightweight or more flexible or whatever that is. Um, and like to what you're talking about, those guys have actually changed their, some of their design traits now oh, okay. to add some of that load carriage capability into yep. it. And, um, and that's just time, you know, that's like no, no, no design is going to be perfect, you know, past, you know, the, the initial phase of it and you've got to get feedback and, and really build those types of things. So, um, you know, it, so we, we went down that path and that was really, how the industry as a whole has really gotten to now. Um, for us, it's like you mentioned this backpack or you mentioned pouches and things like that. It, it, it will blow me away. There's so many different guys will go, hey, man, have you ever thought about this? And I'm like, in, now I've, I'm recycling stuff now because I'm, I did stuff at Dimeback and I'm just making them lighter. In a lot of ways, mentally, I'm going, okay, I, went, I, this is, I saw this or I'll have guys come to me, you know, especially the younger guys will be like, hey, man, you're like, have you ever seen this before? ever seen this pouch and it's literally a Dimebag tactical pouch <laughs> yeah that's awesome <laughs> like i saw one the other day that was uh, a staggered like one higher one lower so that way you're grabbing one mag and they're not necessarily stacked 
And uh, the guy was like, yeah, this is like a new in- new innovation this company in North Carolina did. And I was like, yeah, I, I think I actually have the patent on that from 2002. You wow. know, <laughs> you know, it was really funny. But but it's the same thing. Eagle did the same thing. You know, you the, the industry, you know, the guys that are at First Beer, they've got some really, really cool innovation, innovative designs. Um, Eagle's doing some really cool stuff. Cry is always doing some cool stuff. It, it all depends on how the personality of what you're looking for kit-wise. I, I don't think we're the best. I think we're one of the best, right, at, w- at what we do. And um, that, But outside those four companies, you get outside big industry, right? You get to the – Safari Land's doing a few cool things, but they're, they're trying to answer a bigger animal, right? Uh, point, the point blanks of the world, they're trying to big, they're answering bigger solicitations. You know, they want to, they want to go build for the masses and things like that. Um, you know, yeah, can we, you, can you explain, cause you explained it, uh, before when we were talking offline, but, and I think that's important for people to understand is, especially when I think of this as craftsmanship, right? Or field totally, craft, right? Totally. So it's like you're working, um, to take ideas and craft them into, you know, solutions for the end user. And, when you get into this mode, whether it's venture capitalists or capital investors pumping money into a system that's trying to feed the masses, it, it dilutes a lot of fields of expertise. And I think the tactical space is definitely one of them because I've seen a few companies go down this rabbit hole. But when you say that you and a few of these companies uh, are, are kind of different from you know, like the 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 uh, conglomerates of companies. What what does that mean? So you know, when when you and and I say this from experience. I mean, when you take on private equity, um, it doesn't necessarily ruin the company, but it ruin it a lot in a lot of ways. Um, it can ruin the purity of what your what that individual that creates the company or that individual that design is designing for that company. Um, it might uh, change right a, a little bit about the direction. Sometimes it doesn't change at all. I haven't seen that, but it, but it, but sometimes I've, I've heard that that's the way it, it's supposed to work. Typically, um, you know, what happens in a phase, and I'll, I'll use my example with Dimeback. You know, in 2005, uh, we were going down a path and we wanted to grow, right? We were at 24 and a half, 25 million dollars in sales, something like that, and um, and I was limited because of my background, right? I'm not, I'm high school degreed, you know, Marine, you know, it's not like I, I went, and went and got my MBA or anything else like that. I'm not a finance guy. I had to go out and seek that and find that information, hire the right people, and then literally take classes, right? So I got my MBA the hard way. I had to go out and actually, uh, you know, earn, earn it, uh, you know, and, and, and I took lots of classes. I actually hired a CFO that actually used to teach me finance one-on-one classes every single morning. Um, he thought it was crazy, but literally would come in and whiteboard a okay, this is what we learned today, and then I would use that as a business application. And it made a huge difference. Um, he was a giant hippie uh, pot smoker guy, and it was like the best class ever because he was always <laughs> like hungover and <laughs> giving, awesome. giving, giving me this yeah. class. It was pretty funny because um, I'm like the total opposite yeah. <laughs> of him. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, you know. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, you look at the industry, if they take money, right, or they start to go down that path, that's not always a bad thing. It might help that product or that company grow and 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 take on the next level of of its maturity right um that's how private equity uh will will place that but there there's always an end goal for them right their end goal is not going man we just want to make this company better their company is their 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 business is we want to invest money in you to extract as much profit out as possible we want to help it grow so then we can sell it and and what they what they typically do, and I've seen this with friends that have sold companies to private equity recently, 
um, what they typically do is they'll go down that path and it's like, man, we want to, we want to make this the best company possible and, and everybody's going to profit and you're going to be, you're going to be so rich. You won't have to worry about it. Right. Well, after you've been working your ass off for 10 years, right. And you're, and you're sweating out and you've seen friends do this, right. You get to that point you're like, man, this is a good idea. This is going to help me take it to the next level. But what it ends up doing is instead of maybe going a little bit slower, maybe you're going 30% slower. It doesn't have to go all the way slower, but maybe you're going 30% slower than you would and maybe putting a little bit more risk on yourself than, and not necessarily working harder, but just taking that time to do that. You might get to that same end result of what you wanted, whether it's a financial goal or size goal or whatever it is. Every, everybody has a different goal. So you, you also, you know, you and I can't go, you know, hey, Kevin, you can't sell your company to a private equity because it's going to ruin this and this. Well, Kevin might be working that for 20 years and he's ready to retire. He might, he might want to, you know, just go out and, you know, you know, shoot groundhogs or whatever yeah. it is all day long. Incentives right? are going to change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, as we, as we change and our lives change, our families change, things like that. Um, so there's a few companies in our industry that are left that are, that are not owned by private equity. Um, I don't believe first beer is owned by private equity. Um, cry is, I don't believe is, I don't know them. For, I don't, I know them well, but I don't know their, their financial situation from that standpoint, but I don't think they are as well. Yeah, I don't think so, yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't think velocity is, I think, I think David and those guys are, are, are separate. Uh, we are separate. So there's maybe, you know, three, four, five companies that are separate. The rest of them, if you go down the path of the Safari lands, the point blanks of the world, great companies, right? But Safari land, if I'll give you a Safari land example. And I like the guy, I'm friends with a lot of guys over there when they used to be the old armor holdings companies, right? So they, they were multiple companies, Safari land holsters, badass holsters, still badass holsters, right? Uh, Safari Land Body Armor was the concealable and tactical side. They had lots of cool products. They had uh, a progressive, uh, progressive technologies plates. You know, they had all these different companies or protective, protective products, whatever it was, or ProTech is what it was. So they had all these different companies. Harris Gloves. I don't know if you remember Harris Harris Gloves yeah, or yeah. not. Where are they at? Uh, yeah. Non-existent. Yeah. Private equity, right? Oh. So, so you you go down this path, um, and it. What, what a private equity's job is to do, and there's going to be a private equity guy that's going to post on this and go, no, man, this is the way we do it. I'm going to tell you, bullshit. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You can say that all day long. I've never in this industry yeah. seen it work. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's because of all the type A personalities, but it's got to be like this in the car industry as well yeah. or whatever, whatever it is. So when you put all these companies together, if one of those companies doesn't perform, do you keep that company on or do you cut it loose? Do you kill it? You know, so... Let's say, uh, and I don't know this for a fact with Safari Land, but let's say, let's say uh, um, Harris Gloves goes from $10 million in sales to $5 million in sales the next year, and they're only making uh, 25% uh, gross profit versus 45% gross profit when they were at 10. Do you keep them or do you cut them loose? Mm. Do you get rid of their CFO? Do you get rid of their customer service manager? Do you get rid of their people in our accounting? You consolidate all that into middle, middle management or, or in-house. And, you, and so what they've done is they've taken – as an example, let's say you let's just raw numbers. Let's say you take 50 to 60 companies that Armor Holdings bought at one point in time. They bought all these companies. Every, C, every CFO goes away. Pretty much every CEO from all those companies go away. Customer service managers, they consolidate all that in. So what they're doing is they're, they're cutting costs and making more profit for private equity by getting rid of those jobs. Well, as an end user or former end user, you're still an end user, but yeah, you're, bit, yeah. you know what I mean? Different former, now, former action guy. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> Use the Sue LaRue statement, you know? <laughs> oh, Sue. Oh, Sue. Um, you know, so you, 
you, uh, you know, as a former action guy, you got to think about 03 and 04, think about how you guys didn't get equipment. Now, most of our industry does not realize because they're, they're younger. They don't, they don't understand the industry side, but 03, 04, 05, you guys didn't get equipment as fast as you could. Right. Um, I mean, we went to Congress, you know, the big companies had what they had, but the industry industrial base in this, in this industry for, for defense wasn't there. So if you needed gloves, you couldn't get them in time. If you needed plates, you couldn't get them in time. If you needed knee pads, you couldn't get them in time. ESS goggles. I remember we couldn't get them in time and we were their biggest dealer at the time. Oakley eyewear. I mean, you name it, whatever it was, you couldn't get it fast enough. And the reason why is because the industrial base wasn't large enough. Mm-hmm. So then it grew. And it grew in 03, 04, 05 during this period of time because it was trying to meet demand. So it meets demand, which is the same, pretty much the same. If you go back to the numbers of sales, volume-wise, just dollar figure-wise, from the, in the dollar that was spent in 07 and 08 is almost equal to what it's spent right now. Why? Because we've got more, more people in the military. The Marine Corps has more. The Army has more. We're spending more money on special operations. We're buying different vehicles. You know, we're getting rid of the Humvee and we're going to GMV. You know, we're spending, you know, you know, billions of dollars in this area. But what has happened to our industrial base? I'll give you one word, private equity. So private equity has taken all these companies, they've consolidated them so they could suck the profit out of them, and then they've cut them loose, right? Some of them survive, some of them are still around, most of them aren't healthy. So if, it, so if another 03, 04, 05 happens, where's that? So, um, I'm so not, instead of reinvesting back into no, the brand, why, they're not doing anything. Why would they reinvest yeah. back in the brand? They, they, they want a three to four year term. That's, that's their goal, right? Wow. And I saw that firsthand from, from my side of it. Um, and we have private equity to call all the time. And I pretty much tell them this exact same story. I'm like, so what do you, what value are you going to add to me? Why would I take it? And, and, and this is what I would want. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's a very short phone call. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there's not very many people that have gone down that path in this industry and then come back into it. Like, like I have, um, where I learned that lesson, you know, you, you, you get hit by it. Like, like you were talking about earlier, a friend of yours, you get hit by it and you're like, man, now what do I do? Like, okay, this changes my path. This changes a course of, of maybe who I am or what I'm going to do or how I'm going to run my business. Do I want to get back into it? How old are you in that process? I mean, it, it really, it really makes you question. It made me question. And I was young, you know, I was younger, you know, I was, I was in my mid thirties, early, early thirties when I sold mid thirties, I guess. And, um, so, you know, the problem with that is now think about, you know, per, you know, knock on wood and pray it doesn't happen. Iran, right. Or North Korea that happens, we don't have the industrial capability today as a body armor industry. People will say they do, right? Again, you've got people opposed. No, we could make this many vests. Kiss my ass. You guys are already running full tilt now. Find sewers that can actually sew quality products. I'm not talking about half-assed products. I'm talking about the level of expectation that you would want to put on your son or that yeah. I would want to put on my son. That is what our industrial base should be. Now, part of it is the Army's problem because the Army and the, you know, the, Army and the services in general doesn't give even orders, right? So they're not like, they're not spreading it out. They're going after these, you know, these big companies, once they have these giant, giant factories, they're like, hey, uh, Safari Land, hey, Point Blank, you guys are the ones that, you know, KDH and, and Armor Express, you guys can fulfill this stuff. Well, what about, what about the, uh, the cries of the world, right? Cry had a great carrier, a great system that they put in for SPS2, as an example, which was the next generation U.S. Army system. They didn't take it. Why? Because it didn't meet a few little specs. You were talking about this earlier, Kevin. You know, it, and, and it's because they, what ends up happening is those designs aren't really innovating what the soldier could be wearing, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, same thing for first beer. You know, they're getting what they've done is they've done a different direction where they're actually getting their technology put into uh, and their and their and their uh, intellectual property, their patents and things like that put into some of these designs, which is really really smart on their on their part. Um, that means they don't have to produce it all. They don't have to have and and part of that, you know, Scott Carver's been in this industry for a long time. You know, I mean, his dad was, you know, one of the inventors of what our you know modern nylon is today. You know, John um, and maybe he learned a lot of lessons in that sale when, when they sold Eagle Industries the first time. You know, when, when you have a lot of sewers and then your company changes, then those people get laid off. So that doesn't mean that, again, it doesn't mean that private equity is not right for everybody. It's just not right. It's not right for me. You know, I, ho- I hope that more companies and more people, um, you know, if they're going to get into this industry, start to educate themselves and look at how they could actually make a difference in this industry. They don't have to be the biggest guy. I think that's what everybody, everybody, when they get into this, they think they've got to be, man, I got to be a hundred million dollar company. And I know I've, I've, I've been down that path. Um, you don't have to do that to be successful. You know, you, you know, success is what you make of it, obviously. But, but it, if you look at it as purely, man, I'm going to be the richest guy doing this, you're not going to be happy doing it. And, and so the, the task that we took have taken uh, with tier is really focus on, I want to make great product first that saves somebody's life. That's, that's the core focus of our business. So innovate or die, right? If you, if you focus on that, everything good happens afterwards. And, um, it doesn't mean that we're going to meet everybody. We were talking about a solicitation that we lost recently. That was a, a pretty good size one. Ridiculous that we lost. Like you look at the ballistic specs on it, you're like, this is stupid. Like how would you ch- choose a lesser product by this degree for a couple extra bucks? That's the way it works. So what we what we choose to do is focus on uh, customers that have an appreciation or an affinity for higher quality products in our category, and and we build specifically around those around those categories. So so you know speaking of that innovator die you, you, across the street you're pointing out that field that you uh, have plans for. Can you talk about that field and, and what you have planned? Yeah, so this complex uh, or campus, as as the city calls it, is a uh, is eight and a half acres. I bought this uh, I bought this three and a half, almost four years ago now, and then we built the building we're in now. Uh, we we laid it out. This is seventy eight thousand square feet, um, and it was built specifically for nylon and soft armor, uh, with some plans for hard armor. Uh, so we had seventy five hundred square feet dedicated to hard armor that you guys saw back there. Um, Hard armor for us is ballistic plates, ballistic shields, uh, vehicle armor programs, things like that, and um, and that area of our business has really developed has really uh, uh, developed fast, uh, primarily because we've we've spent so much energy and time um, and money uh, on driving the technology in that specific space. So, like our ballistic shield system and things like that that, that the army just bought. So, because we focused on that area. And we've had a, a, a great deal of success. We, we started looking at the rest of the industry and, and really realizing, again, it goes back to that industrial base. What is, what's available? <laughs> There's that siren, another siren. It's number we three. Yeah, we evidently have a lot of fires or police officers around here somewhere. Um, <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Oh, somebody's just getting pulled over. That's all it is. <laughs> that doesn't say much about double-pane windows in this, in this I know, building, I guess. Crazy. you know. <laughs> Um, so they, uh, we looked at the industry as a whole and said, okay, you know, what is the focus on, um, higher technology, ballistic plate, uh, side of the business. So that's where we're investing our time and, and energy, uh, in the, in the future, besides our soft armor development, obviously. Um, and, uh, so we're building a, a for another 42,000 square feet. That field goes away starting January. 
and there's going to be a 42,000 foot uh, custom structure that's built. It's going to be pretty much identical to this building. It'll look exactly the same. It's just smaller, um, and it's focused on hard armor. So we'll have uh, multiple autoclaves in there and, and other pieces of equipment, and and that will give us the ability to because I'm it, as I told you guys earlier, it's me, my wife, and my kids. Right? It's not it's not like I have anybody else where I have to go. Hey, do I want to go do this? Um, I would much rather invest in equipment um, and the future of the company because I'm 47. In some ways, it's bad. Like this, hi- this hiking this heavy ass pack that I'm getting ready to do is is not easy, right? At 47, but in business, at 47, I'm I'm real. I, I think I'm relatively young as far as where I'm at in the industry, um, and I and I love what I'm doing. I don't feel. Uh, I don't feel after 20 years, man, I'm worn out. You know, I, I love creating product. Like it's a, it's a serious passion of mine. So I want to go and, and invest in the future of the business and look at what we have as an opportunity for the industrial base of, of this industry. So when there is another conflict of, of significant proportions, hopefully, again, hopefully there's not, but just historically, you look at every 15 to, to 20 years, we, we are in another major conflict, one way or the other. Now, we haven't, this is a little bit different. We haven't gotten out of the conflict that we started in, two, or started off in uh, 2000, late 2001. Um, but it's, uh, you know, so, so it's a little signif- uh, diff- different. But um, you look at Iraq and you look at the history of Iraq and when we started, when we, you know, kind of semi exited, you know, 10 years after that, you know, it's not, we're not that far away. Um, and, and if, and if our industry is not ready, we're, we're going to, we're not going to take care of those soldiers as an industry, not just talking about just us, just as an industry as a whole, um, we have to be ready to take care of our, our soldiers. So now, now this, um, you know, you talked about this, this, uh, sheep, I think it's a sheep hunt that you're doing in, in BC, you're kind of going through some T and E by you know, as a default of figuring things out for, for the for the hunt itself, from the rifle to the ammo to the actual packing out of the things that you need. Right. And it's kind of cool because you're using your own packs and you're modifying things. And it, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a hunter as well, and I've done like Eastman's Elevated, all these different magazines and stuff. And I I just get into the gear and I see all your gear. I'm like, why is this not hunting gear? And I see the cro- there's obviously a crossover because you know you see you know I, we're big in the overland space and tactical space, and the tactical guys are using the same equipment in their vehicles as the um, you know the overland space because it, it it's not there there's yeah. not enough good equipment there as well as the hunting it's like if I carry an Alice pack that's good enough for me to do a recce operation it's good enough for an elk hunt it just needs to be modified and adjusted right. let's talk a little bit about that because I know this is kind of something. I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, 12 days in the backcountry of the Yukon Peninsula and then doing a hunt this epic. What Number one, where did it come from? Where did the idea come from? And then how has the journey been so far leading yeah, up to it? Yeah, so for, uh, um, I guess it was when, uh, it was probably a year ago, uh, I was talking to my wife and, and uh, I'm 47 now. It was, it was right after my 46th birthday. And I was like, I need to do something that is like a man-making trip. And uh, my wife, who's 13 years younger than me, looked at me and was like, we have six boys. Like, what is more? What do you need to bore? Like, man making is what <laughs> to you, right? I think she thought I wanted another kid, um, and we were we were we were just having another. We had just had another baby at the time, so, um, so uh, you know, it, we kind of after the jokes, kind of. I'm like, no, nah, you know, like, you know, at this point in my life, um, I feel like I want to do something that is significant that um, challenges me, right? Um, I think challenges, no matter what it is make you better right yeah, um yeah. that, 
typically the harder the challenge, um, you're gonna if you if you approach it with the right mindset, you'll come out a different person for for a positive, right? If you take it that way, a lot of people don't take it that way. They're like, oh, the world's against me, life's against me. I wanted something that would be really really hard, really really physically challenging, um, and uh, and that would be something that I would that that I would normally do, right? So I'm a whitetail hunter, right? So I, I'll spot and stock and go out in Texas and go back to the cabin at night, and do the, do the whole thing. And I've done that on the same ranch for 16 years, and I absolutely love it. Uh, and I've shot some big deer, obviously, because of it. Um, but I always watch these shows and, um, you know, talk to these different guys. And I went to SCI. What, what it was is I, we had gone to the SCI show, the uh, Safari Club International show, and um, I had met uh, the guy who started Kuyu, um, Jason Harrison. Yeah. And uh, so we were talking about packs and things like that, and he – he follows us, or he followed us on Instagram. He's, he's obviously he passed away. Um, he followed us on Instagram. I followed him, and, and we had direct message each other a few times, stuff like that. So I talked to him at the show, and um, really dynamic individual. And uh, he's like, he's like, so uh, you gonna sheep hunt? Well, I was at the SCI because I wanted to elk hunt. Like I was like, oh, I'll just go on elk hunts. Not that far away from deer, you know. Maybe I'm mule deer. Like I, I want a mule deer hunt. Like that's the next progression in my in my head. And um, he's like, man, he's like, uh, if you want the next challenge of your life. He goes, you want a real man-making trip? Like, you want something that's going to put hair on your chest? In my head, I'm like, really? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, dude, the dude's like seriously challenged. And there's like 14 other dudes standing around listening to him yeah. say this. And I was like, man, now I feel like a total pussy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, so he said that. So that, I think, is what, I, if I go back, I think that, that kind of mental conversation or that conversation he had with me, because it was almost like a mind, he was, he was, mind mess, he was messing with me that oh, way. Oh, yeah, you know? planting like, the yeah, seed, yeah, too. Yeah, like, you really... Like you really can't just be a whitetail hunter your whole life. Like that's easy, and um, so I, uh, you know, I, I th- that's what started. And I started looking more into it, and then um, and I was, you know, you see these videos and you watch this and you're like, man, okay, you're carrying a heavy pack, you're shooting long distances, um, you got to train your ass off for it, you got to eat the right way, you got to do all these other things, and and it doesn't mean you're gonna win, you know. And I like that fact, you know. I I don't I don't life is not just winning right and we try to teach our kids that i've got six boys so it's that's a constant you know yeah i didn't win this game that's life man you know <laughs> like, yeah. it's gonna make you but what'd you learn from it did you have fun like that was the like if you had fun then go enjoy it that way and it's so hard because our, our kids want that instant gratification instant, yeah and and we as as adults want that same thing you know we want to open that iphone box that's that's perfectly designed you know and pull out this perfect you know iphone 10 or whatever and like oh you know it's, everything's supposed to work that's not real life it's just, it's just not, you know, when, especially you'll realize that when your iPhone doesn't work, sometimes you'll be like, man, it, you know, you see customers, you know, like freaking out at the Apple store. <clears throat> yeah. But this is supposed to work. That, that's not real. Life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Things sometimes things don't break. work. Yeah, yeah. Things break, you know, like you, especially, you know, doing off-road stuff, I'm sure oh, all the stuff time. breaks, you know, you gotta be prepared for that. So, uh, you know, and during this conversation, it was about, you know, I want to make some, I want to do something and this is what I'm doing. She's like, I've never heard you talk about this before. And I'm like, I, I, I've been thinking about it. It's just something that, that has been bugging me. And, and it really was that, that, that little conversation with, with Jason. Um, and, uh, so I started looking further into it. So then I went to uh, Safari Club International show for two more years and I started, I started having conversations with guides. And then I went to the DSCI show, uh, Dallas Safari Club show. And, um, and uh, started talking to guides. 
now I'm talking to them because just not just to get to know them, but I wanted to see what their personality was. Because you're going to spend 12 days with this other guy, yeah, and you're going to yeah. hunt this animal. And I don't want this guy to be a dick. That was that was in your first year, you know, but I also want to I want to have the ultimate success, right? So um, I started talking to this guy Dustin Rowe uh, with Backcountry BC, um, and uh, I was I was talking to him on uh, just kind of via direct message and stuff like that, and I was going to meet him at. at and then um, I ended up meeting one of his guys that was always on Instagram, uh, Dan Watson, and he's an Australian. I think the, I think he's like 28 years old, and um, I ended up having like a four-hour conversation with this dude at at the Dallas Fire Club show, and I was like, "Hey man, like I want to hunt with you, like like I've talked to all these guys, and you're you're as real as it gets. You talk about how hard it is, but but more importantly, it was all about how he talked about the passion of hunting and how excited, and you know that." I don't know that young guy enthusiasm. You're like, man, I want to go, I want to go do hang this, with this dude this now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we can set up a hunt. I'm like, no, let's just do it. Let's go do the whole grand slam. And I go, and let's do a moose hunt. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> no, like, let's, let, do, let's it right do it right now. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, let's go. Like, like how fast can we do this? So, uh, this was, uh, this was this, this, uh, last February. And, um, and, uh, so we're, we're sitting there having this conversation. It might've been late January this conversation and within a week i had contract signed and so i i we're doing my entire grand slam or i'm going on my obviously i've got to be successful on my my end um but i'm doing the whole grand slam and a moose hunt um up in british columbia so i'm doing uh, uh stone sheep uh i got 23 days i've had this countdown clock since since i signed the wow. contract i literally on my on my calendar i put it put it backwards and i get a, a thing every morning um the, the shitty thing about the whole thing is literally uh, about three weeks after this, I'm training my ass off, you know, and I'm, I was lifting and I was in pretty good shape at the time. And, uh, I go to, I'm, I'm, I was doing CrossFit, which I'm not doing <laughs> anymore right now. I'm like, I'm like, one is I'm too old for this stuff yeah. and, I, and I can't keep up with this guys. And I realized that if you're get a guy next to you trying to challenge you. Um, so I, I was deadlifting, uh, four Oh five and they were doing like set this guy next to me. I, I was only able to get one on the, on the first one. And this dude does like five. So I'm in my head. I'm like, Pfft. I'm as strong as he is. I can do five. On my third one, I, I tore my uh, abdominal and gave myself. Oh, <laughs> that's how it so always works. I was like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. So, so I, uh, uh, I was going to Israel like three weeks later. Uh, the surgeon was like, Hey man, like if you, if you can, you know, you go do the hike that you're doing. It's not that bad. Um, I made it worse when I was in Israel cause I jumped across this little ravine. And, um, so I get back, have surgery and I've been recovering uh, and focus on, uh, I've been doing PT. So I, I literally three days a week, I'm doing PT. Um, I'm, I'm on the treadmill or a, or a stair climber three days a week, um, in that morning at six and then eight 30, I've got a uh, physical therapy for an hour. Wow. <laughs> like, to, you know, yeah. I've been busting my, like the physical therapist is like, you're my favorite customer. I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> you know, $55 copay. I'm sure you are. Uh, he's, and he's a super, super cool guy, but, but he is actually, he's actually helped me get, uh, to the, where I'm at now physically. Um, so it's not just a gear side. You've got to work on your physicality. You've got to focus on nutrition. You've got to focus on cardio. And again, I haven't done it yet. So here I yeah. am going, you know, it's a, I'm in bear country, never done that before. Um, never hunted an animal in mountain range. Never, never camped in a, in a, you know, like, like in this type of environment. There, it's not like you've got, I've got an SOS button on my Garmin inReach and that's it. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not, you know, you're, you're 75, 80 miles from pretty much anywhere, anybody or anywhere at that point. So um, it was, to me, it was really important uh, to have a guide that I believed in that could be successful, that had, 
I, w- I wasn't, I, I don't actually think I ever asked him about hunting success. Maybe I should ask him that now. Uh, I leave with him in three weeks, but, but, um, it, it, it really wasn't, it's not about the success. Like how, how many, how many sheep do you kill? Or, you know, with whitetail hunts, it's like, man, how big is your, you know, what'd you score? 160 or whatever it is. Like to, I haven't even looked into that side of sheep hunting. Um, and I know guys are really into that. Like I was listening to a podcast the other day and they're like some desert scored here, uh, um, like a 185 or 186 here in, in Arizona, like a, a desert bighorn. And, um, and I'm like, Hey, that that's great. And they're like, well, what are you going after? I was like, I just want to sheep hunt, man. Like, like, to, because I, and the guy's like, well, haven't you even thought about scoring? I was like, no, nah, man. Just, like, yeah. like I'm, I'm there for the challenge. Like I'm uh, le- legitimately, I feel like it's probably the purest challenge, um, that I could go after because I'm not yeah. really thinking about a score. Where it's when the you, process. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 It's, it's the challenge. It's the working out, making gear, uh, what this has done for gear design for us, which is crazy. Um, there's items that we have built over the years, clothing wise, and I'm literally every single thing except for my boots, my socks, my underwear, we're making here, right? Not, not rifle and stuff like that, but clothing wise. Um, you have a part of your business, you have a clothing line. Yeah, so we have Huron packs and clothing. So Huron, uh, we do like the jungle pack for US SOCOM as an example. Uh, we do the 120 liter pack for uh, uh, Canadian Special Operations. Um, New Zealand buys our pack, and there's a lot, a lot of different com- you know countries wow. that buy different packs from us. Um, and we're not massive, but but we try to be very very specific in what we do. I think our jungle pack is is completely badass. I took that old Alice frame uh, that I wore when I was in the Marine Corps that was three and a half pounds and made a carbon fiber and aluminum. Wow, those custom, are great custom, too. Yeah, yeah, one pound frame. Wow. You know, so so that and that's actually the frame I'm using on this pack. So I'm, I took I'm taking our jungle pack frame, which is weighs a pound. And I put a heavy belt and a heavy yoke system on it and an 80 liter pack on it that's completely custom built from scratch. Um, and the goal is, is that at the end of this, we would sell that item, right? That oh, we would, cool. that we would have a pack and, um, and that, that we would have a history around this from a creation standpoint. Right. Um, and it's, and it's, it's really enhanced our, our clothing side because it's like, okay, I'm wearing these, uh, wet weather pants and tops that we make already at a Neo shell. And it's like, well, man, we don't have any protection for the neo shell on the elbow. So when I lay prone, <laughs> now, now the funny thing is, we people buy those products and I, and I love them. I think they're some of the best on the market. But I'm like, man, what if it gets a hole in it in the elbow? Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to get water running down this. So, so you know, we made them to be as light as possible. But the uh, now we're now from my perspective as a hunter, I'm looking at, well, man, if I'm if I need this extra protection, if I get a hole there or or if I'm seated in a seated position for a long time while I'm while I'm glassing, um, you know, do I have extra protection so I don't get a hole in the back of the back of the uh, the uh, jacket and things like that? And then later on in uh, late September, early October, I'm going back up and we're doing a moose hunt um, wow. with backpack and uh, and horseback, and um, so we made a waterproof puffy top, you know, level seven. You know, everybody sees you know puffies, um, and they're lightweight and you can stuff them and stuff like that. But what happened? It happens when you get sleet or rain, right? Now I've got to wear a different jacket on top of my puffy and those types of things. So I just designed the, you know, we designed the two of them together and uh, combined them, and they're completely sealed, 100% waterproof. So we're um, nothing's 100% waterproof. You'll have yeah, somebody yeah. say that as well, like, well, you know, Gore does this or Neo Shell does that. Um, but as good as it can be in that situation. So um, you know, I'm able to go out, and we're going to be. 
uh, you know, I'm going to be doing a, a video uh, and images where I'm laying out all of my kit of what I'm taking. I'll do, I'm going to do a before and after and then put that in one video. Um, I've got a guy that's actually coming with me to do videos of, and he's going to be on every, literally every single hunt with me. Um, so that way he can video, uh, the, the success and the failures of, of whatever that situation is. Right. I mean, yeah. there's got, there's going to be failures no matter what, right. I mean, whether I pray that I get each one of the animals, obviously that, that, that I got to work my ass off for that, but there's going to be gear failures. There's going there, that's the only thing that makes it better, right. You're going to learn from that. And, and so I'm hoping that out of it, you know, we become better designers, uh, from that standpoint, but it's, uh, it's man-making, man. It is. <laughs> you know? I, I think it's really cool. The whole process yeah. seems really interesting because I, I always tell people when they're coming up with an idea or they, you know, they have a vision for a path to an end objective is so many people overthink the process instead of what you did is commit to the timeline, yeah. right? Get an in-state, create the in-state, and then backwards plan off that in-state. Well, and, and, and it sucked even with the hernia, right? Like um, I'm not where I, I – we were talking about this at physical therapy yesterday. I'm like, man, I wished I had – 45 more days. And, uh, and the therapist was like, well, you know, like this is where you're, you know, you're, you physically you're, you're where you're, where you should be. I still have little pains and stuff like that. Now they're saying I'll have that for like a year. Um, but at the same time, when is a perfect time? Yeah. Like you think about that, like, 100%, as, yeah, yeah, we're adults. Like, like you, you really need to take the opportunities that you have and suck it up. And you know, like one of the guys I was talking to, he's like, you know, it's all about grit. Like he's like, sheep hunting's all about grit. And then you'll hear another guy's like, sheep hunting's all about cardio. <laughs> you know? Somewhere you know? in between grit, yeah, you know, grit and cardio. Well, when I was talking to Jason Harris, I mean, this is this is a year and a half, you know, almost two years ago now. You know, when I was talking to him, he's like, you know, he's training at like this uh, performance, sports performance place at the university that he's locally. He's like, yeah, wow. I've got these guys doing this and doing that. Now, who's an NFL guy too, yeah. right? And, um, and I'm like, I mean, I'm just on the treadmill. I'm on the treadmill every morning. <laughs> you know, like, like yeah, I'm, I'm going to weight vest and on there for an hour and a half and then on the stair climber for an hour and a half. I'm like, man, I hope that's enough, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, you, you talk to a lot of guys and they're like, man, you're doing more than... So I, so I think it's a mental preparation. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of questions I have about my own self or capability of doing this. Yeah. Um, and I think that's... While it's it's a it's it's kind of weird it's it's a, it's the it I don't get intimidated business wise this is an intimidating thing for me yeah. and um and I kind of like it you know yeah that's like, how you grow right yeah that's, man. that's yeah yeah I want I want that I want to feel like I'm going to and not just feel but I want to be it right mm-hmm. I want to I want to I want to make something of something of that fear because my fear is. I don't want to get eaten by a bear. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, yeah. That's my first fear, yeah. right? I got to kick Van Zant, make sure that he falls before I do. That, that's the other. Uh, but I want to, um, you know, I, I need to get over that fear, right? I need to get over the fear of climbing up and down mountains. I'm not a big height guy, right? That These guys are climbing up like billy goats all over the place. Um, and I'm not a big height guy. So um, that's something that, I, that I've got to deal with and I'm, I'm dealing with. And, and uh, you know, some people are like, oh, it's no big deal. All right, have a sixty-five pound pack on your back, and you're yeah. walking along a ridge line, and the wind blows real hard. You know, I mean, you see guys fall and do different stuff, or your ankle goes out on you, and you're in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So I, I want that challenge, mm-hmm. and um, hopefully nothing goes wrong after me saying all this other stuff. Hopefully I didn't jinx <laughs> yeah, myself, yeah. but but um, you know, I, I I want that challenge to to pull myself through that opportunity. You know, that's really cool I, for mindset and for preparedness and all the things that we talk about. That's a, that's really good information. Um, I know you you had talked to somebody about getting that rifle, and that's a pretty sweet setup. I mean, it was like seven pounds. What's the what's the story on the rifle? Yeah, so that's a it's a proof research uh, Glacier Ti. Um, it is a 
a five and a half pound, uh, 300 wind mag, uh, 20 inch barrel, uh, one in 10, uh, twist on it. Um, I have the funny thing is we see that it looks beautiful. I haven't shot it yet. So yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it. And then it's got a, a, a night force, uh, NX eight, which, which, uh, or NS eight, which gets uh, released at shot show this year with, uh, with a trimmer three on it. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's going to be pretty, uh, pretty sick. I'm actually going out to, to Todd hot and it's actually shooting, uh, in a couple weeks and, 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 uh, doing some work on that so i'm pretty excited so yeah i have that same pr- i had the proof research barrel on my 300 wind mag it's the longer version of that but when i pick that thing up it's like the heaviest thing on it's the harris bipod that's yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that that whole thing is uh is 8.3 pounds right now with, with, scope, with, bipod, with scope bipod sling. And sling yeah that's amazing yeah it's pretty that's sick awesome. when they sent it to me originally before the bipod and the sling, it was a seven point six, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's yeah. with the scope on it." You know, it's a uh, it's pretty yeah. sick. And they've already, you know, proof was a, both both night force and proof have been amazing to deal with on it. Um, you know, proof actually uh, um, took the scope front. You know, night force sent them the scope. They actually zeroed everything. Sent me you know base date on it and stuff like that. I mean, they've just been uh, awesome to work with yeah, both companies. Both of them, great companies, great yeah. companies. And now you uh, said you're going to post, or you're going to do some videos. Where are you going to put the videos at? Uh, so primarily on Instagram. So everything yeah. that we're doing is, um, you know, Instagram, which is Tier Tactical. Uh, it's T Y R Tactical. Yep. Yeah. And then um, our, you know, we do a lot of stuff on Facebook, but primarily Instagram is really where we'll post everything. So um, I obviously won't be able to post while I'm there, but uh, we'll be posting different stuff, especially on gear images. And things like that that you know i really want people to you know i love feedback um, oh yeah you know so it, it kind of funny I, I get stuff back from soldiers all the time like the danish military we, we provide all their stuff and um i get you know 19 20 year old soldiers be like hey you know we like this have you ever thought about doing it this way and it's like i mean that's a good idea like we're actually making some changes to their gear and we're able to take about five percent of the weight off of their vest this this next year on their next version because of feedback that that kids through through instagram now we're not talking. I've wow. never met these kids. They'll like send me DMs, and then they'll like. You, you would be surprised. They're writing a thesis <laughs> yeah. on DMs. Really you know? technical. Yeah, way they yeah. Look at because things, they've yeah. thought about it. You know, they said. You know, you know how it is. You're sitting around with ten other guys, and you're like, man, this this piece of kit would be awesome if you did this, 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 yeah. and this. You know, and they're like measuring stuff out and stuff. So it's pretty cool. You know, I I, I like that. I like that feedback. Um, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think I'm the inventor of all things. You know, I, I I bet the guys that I mentioned earlier, the different companies, they would probably say would say the exact same things. They're not the inventor of all things. It, the feedback from the end user is extremely important if we want to always be better. Um, and you can't take offense to somebody going, "Hey, man, you should." You ever thought about this? It's like, you know, sometimes we we get our own where we're like, "Man, like, I've already thought about that," or "I've done that." It's like. You know, you need you need that feedback. You know, part of it's humbling, um, and part of it is is you being able or you're humbling yourself to realize that you're not the guy all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, and uh, we put ourselves on that pedestal sometimes. I think we've we've figured it all out. That's just not reality. If we want to improve our product or make something better ballistically or be- make something better load carriage wise, you know, you need to listen to those customers that way. You know, because those guys, those are the guys using it. And at the end of the day, like I said, you know, I'm not the one getting shot at. Those guys are right, yeah, so yeah. it's it's important for them to to be able to give that feedback that maybe we can actually help save their life. So, if uh, somebody wants to, you know, check out your gear, check out your equipment, and potentially purchase it, where would they go? Uh, so, uh, tier ta- www.tiertactical.com. So, T Y R Tactical.com. Um, we're doing a, uh, a Fieldcraft 15 
uh, gift gift card or not gift card, but a uh, coupon uh, code. coupon code. Yep. So uh, that'll give you fifteen percent off at any point in time. So you guys can use that. That's that's great. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, and uh, and that way, uh, guys will come in. Sometimes we'll actually do a lot of promotional stuff this fall. Um, and maybe we do some some cool stuff where we'll do like field craft specific product or something like oh, that. Oh, that'd be awesome, so, man! That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. I'm gonna hold uh, Kevin. We got to hold. <laughs> hold. I already know Ke- Kevin. Kevin yeah. Kevin's <laughs> like, we need a field craft smock specifically. Yeah. He'll forget when we leave the room. It, yeah. it, it's already gone. It's already gone. Well, Jason, hey man, I, you know, th- there's there's a uh, you know, we know the industry because I I lived in the industry. You you are the industry, and when it comes to like the innovation, the practice, the value. I've always, your name has always been around in a good light. And that, that's, you can't say that for everybody because yeah. there's a, a lot of toxic, uh, toxicity that we've seen in, in the space growing up in it. But you know, when I, when I think about tactical innovation and kit and I, especially at tiered at the highest levels, I remember uh, during the USOC comp, I won one of your recce rigs, the uh, tier tactical. Oh, recce. the coma harness. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. And that was my, everybody, when I became a team sergeant in the SIF, I, my whole team got that because I was like, this is the best thing ever. Um, but, you know, I appreciate you sharing, you know, your insight, kind of articulating your value and how you see things. It's it's kind of refreshing to know that you have somebody in the space that's in it for the right reasons. And I, and I appreciate your uh, um, being here with us today on the podcast. I appreciate it, man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Hey, guys, if uh, you're just tuning into this, uh, you're tuning in late, uh, the, this is going to be on uh, a couple of things. We'll put it on YouTube. We'll put it on um, uh, obviously the podcast on Luminary, on Spotify, on iTunes, and SoundCloud. But if you're interested in all the things that Jason's got going on, check out tiertactical.com. It's tyrtactical.com. And make sure you guys use Philcraft15 to save 15%, which is a great uh, uh, coupon code. Um, hey guys, I appreciate you guys tuning in today. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Stay alert, stay alive. <laughs>